Hello, I'm Rachel Lyman. We want to welcome you to Interfaith Connection, a Spiritual Life Center monthly podcast dedicated to the exploration of faith traditions that promote love. Our study will allow us to build bridges of understanding, acceptance, love, and peace. My partner in so many ways on this journey is Rev. Dave Lyman. He's our senior minister for Interfaith Explorers. He's an ordained Interfaith minister and my beloved husband. As we start our second year, we continue our grand adventure of exploring Interfaith. We're so excited you have joined us today. So buckle up for our 2022 adventure with today's podcast. Hello, this is Rachel Lyman, COO of Interfaith Explorers. And I wanna welcome you to our March 2022 Interfaith Connection podcast. Our guests today are Ann Roach and Sally Sion, both members of Spiritual Life Center and both certified music practitioners, that's CMPs. One of the three areas Interfaith Explorers will focus on this year is to look at programs and people who are providing healing services to those people of other faiths and cultures. The CMP program is definitely one of those programs. We begin our interview today with Ann Roach. Anne has been singing since the age of three and singing professionally as a freelance musician for over 20 years. She's also been a part of the music ministries of Christ Unity Church, which is now known as Unity of Sacramento. And for the past 12 years, the music ministry of Spiritual Life Center. So welcome, Anne. So good to see you and have you here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, for listeners who aren't familiar with what a certified music practitioner or CMP is, I want to quote from the Music for Healing and Transition training program brochure. Well, it says a CMP is to provide live music with the aim of bringing in the moment comfort to a patient's whole being, emotional, spiritual, mental, and physiological simply by having the patient be in the presence of the music. Well, before we start to discuss the CMP program, I'm gonna pretend I'm a, an alien that's just landed on the on planet Earth in a spaceship. And Anne, I don't know who you are. So we have some of your musical history, your singing history. Do you also play instruments? And can you tell us all about that? Sure. <clears throat> Once again, thank you so much for having me. This is something I'm very passionate about talking about. Um, I cannot remember a time that I didn't have music in my life. Um, as you mentioned, I was singing uh, since the age of three, possibly before that, but that's when I started uh, singing on stage. And I've been involved in musical theater. I did teach myself how to play the piano in high school because everybody else seemed to know how, and I was jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I might as well, you know, try to figure this out. Um, I began to record and write my own music when I was in high school and, you know, shop it to recording labels. I trained with Dr. Scott Martin from Juilliard for six years. I've performed in choirs, groups, bands. I've done solo work. As you mentioned, I've been in music ministry for almost 20 years 
And I play in various performing groups around town as well. I picked up the guitar specifically to do this work. I needed a supporting instrument. It's not as easy to lug around a keyboard. You have to figure that out. And uh, my dad played classical guitar when I was a kid. So it was very near and dear to my heart. So it just seemed like a good fit. And it has been. Wonderful. And in part of your bio, you talk about um, the CMP program and who and what inspired you to get into this training. Can you uh, tell us about that, that Alive Inside program you saw in 2015 and what was going on with you at the time? Yeah. Um, so like unbeknownst to me, I, I guess that a lot of people or a lot of musicians have a moment of reckoning, so to speak, or a dark night of the soul. And I was no exception. Um, I found myself, although I was in, you know, spiritual music and I was singing at church and I was there to uplift and inspire, I found myself uninspired and really searching, um, just not quite sure what my next step was. Am I doing the right thing? And I really had the thought of leaving music altogether. Like I've done this a really long time. I feel like it's been a struggle. Um, and it just so happened at that time that, um, I wound up having a wonderful conversation with Mark Tolga. He is also an exceptional musician around town and he is also a CMP at the time he was doing the training. And he was my boy's um, band teacher in middle school. And we had signed up to help volunteer for the day that they go around to other local schools and show them the top band. And I just told him, I don't know. I don't know why I opened up to him that day about what was going on. He was asking me, are you singing? And I just kind of explained to him how lost I felt. And he said, oh, I've got the program for you. And I think this would be perfect. Please check out music healing for transitional program, MHTP. I think you'd be perfect for it. And so immediately I went home, I searched it up and I cried. I said, okay, <laughs> this is my next step. So he was right on. Wonderful. So, uh, and, and I guess you actually received your CMP certification in, in June of 2018. And then in April in 2019, where did you begin working? I started working uh, one day a week only at uh, UC Davis Medical Center, which is also where I did my practicum. So I, I guess I, I specifically asked them if they felt, um, you know, that what I was doing was valuable, that it was helping the patients, that they would consider creating a position. And they did. So I've been there ever since, and my days have now expanded. I'm there three days a week, and now we have a harpist there two days a week. So we have five days a week of therapeutic musicians at uh, UC Davis Medical Center. So when I was talking to you earlier, you mentioned that you were part of the palliative care team. So a lot of the people you see are, uh, you know, just having palliative care. Some aren't, but the, many are. Um, what who else is on that team and and how does that help you in your what you're doing with the CMP program? So the, I mean the palliative care team is made up of obviously you know doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners and social worker and um, a chaplain and now us 
And um, we do get a fair amount of referrals from the palliative care team, but I'll have to say that a lot of referrals come from other places in the hospital as well. So um, chaplains usually send us a lot of referrals and um, the hospice team there sends us a lot of referrals. That is very near and dear to my heart. Um, hospice and doing end of life with this music is really special. And so it does come from a lot of different areas that we receive these referrals. And um, yeah, you never know what you'll walk into and you just stay open in the moment. And that's why you're saying in the moment comfort care. That's very appropriate what you read in the beginning. <laughs> very good. Well, I did a little research because I, I don't like to fly blind on anything. So I wanted to find out a little bit. And um, I found the term music therapist can you explain to our listeners the difference between what you are, a certified music practitioner, and a music therapist? Absolutely. Great question. Um, I feel like this is something that we continually have to educate about. Um, just because, um, you know, a therapeutic musician, it's kind of a new and upcoming uh, vocation. And so, um, so the difference is a music therapist um, has a degree. Um, a lot of times that degree is in psychology. It doesn't have to be. Um, therapeutic musicians have a certification. It's about a two to three year certification program. And we are musicians. We're not therapists. So we consider the music itself to be the therapy. Um, a music therapist, first a therapist. Therapeutic musician, first a musician. Um, Music therapists usually use agendas and they're very goal oriented and we have no agenda. Um, my only agenda is just to bring joy and to be as present in the moment as I possibly can. Um, music therapists, music is one of the tools that they use. This is, music is the only tool that we use and they can also use recorded or live music and therapeutic musicians always do live music so that we can move with the patient however they need it. So that this segues off to another question I had. So uh, what are the benefits of therapeutic mu music? Why not just have any old musician go in and play for a, a patient or, or just put on some recorded music? Is there a real difference? Yeah, absolutely. Like and not to negate any of those other things, because I mean, you know, at the hospital, they have a player piano, you know, down in the lobby. And I notice anytime it's playing, there's just a light. It's like kind of a lighter feeling. So that's wonderful. Recorded music is so wonderful with, you know, patients that have dementia or Alzheimer's, especially if you can find the music that they listen to, the artists they specifically listen to at a certain time. So I'm not negating any of those. Those are great. The thing about therapeutic music and live acoustic music is that it is literally specifically tailored to the patient's immediate need. And the thing about having a live instrument or using your voice, if I try a song and it doesn't work, I can try something else or I can immediately change in the middle of the song to whatever's going on. They start, let's say they're in pain. Um, I'm kind of, you know, searching, trying a few things. I, I find it. They start to relax. I get to continue on that vein and continue to support them in that relaxation. So really, it's, when you're using live music in this way, you're really taking the cue from the patient and following where they are telling you to go. I think I read somewhere in the information where 
you have to know, how, you don't have to memorize music, but you have to know music well enough where you can play and look at the patient, uh, check in on the patient frequently. So that, like you said, if something's happening with them and you need to uh, uh, regroup and do another song or something else, that you need to keep on top of that. So, um, yeah, that's absolutely like your your background certainly fits. So here's a question that I was only going to ask Sally, who's coming on later, but I'm going to ask you too. So, as a CMP, do you as well as the patient benefit from the therapy music? <laughs> Yes, I love this question so much. So how could you not would be my answer. Um, and I've noticed there's some days when I come in and I'm a little like, you know, I just feel a little nervous and stuff. And then I get I get in there and I start playing and I am instantly calm. Um, it has an amazing way of changing the entire atmosphere. So it's not just me. It's not just the patient. If there are nurses or you know, um, RTs or PTs or family member, whatever in the room, everyone benefits in some way or another. It just kind of changes the whole feeling. That's wonderful. It was a silly question. I hope you, I was hoping you wouldn't just say yes. <laughs> what if I said no? <laughs> well, then I try to ask open-ended questions. So you keep talking, you know, <laughs> so, um, and when you went through the training, uh, and I looked online, there's several pages in the in the computer of modules that you had to learn. Can you uh, talk about those modules and give us a, you know, a brief uh, idea of what was some of the areas that you had to learn for the program? Yeah, absolutely. I have to say it was such a joy. I just so looked forward. Um, to going to these modules. In between each module, you'd have a couple books that you had to read and do reviews on. So it would kind of keep you in the conversation as well as practicing music and whatnot, videos that you needed to watch. Um, so the program itself, as I mentioned, it's about a two to three year certification and it has five modules that total about 80 hours altogether of classroom and experiential group learning. And um, module one is you learn how to assess a patient and what they need, which is a great skill to have. Um, module two is usually music as a language. So that gets into like the funda fundamentals of music, music theory, improvisation, composition, memorization, modes. Um, module three is fabulous. They're all fabulous, but this one was so great. It is about music, sound, and healing, and the paradigms of healing. And so, you know, we learn about this wide spectrum of healing arts from Eastern to Western philosophy and a mind-body connection. Because, you know, that's the thing. You're, when you're talking about um, coming into rooms with different cultures, not everybody follows the same, uh, you know, culture or, or ex you know, the, the same idea about healing. So it was wonderful to learn all those different things. Module four is etiquette and uh, preparing you for your independent practicum and basically becoming a professional in this field. So planning for it. And then module five is care of the dying and alterations in health. And, and, and then you get into your clinical practicum, which is 45 hours uh, in a medical facility. And half of that time has to be in a hospital setting. 
And that doesn't sound like too much, but really only the time that you play for the patient is the time that you can calculate. So any transport back and forth, any any other things that are you're doing in the hospital don't count. It's really when you sit down and start playing and then you stop. So it takes a little while. It took me about six months. Well, that and was one of my questions further on about your practicum, 45 hours. And where did you do your practicum? Yeah, so I mostly did all of my practicum at UC Davis Medical Center, but I also did um, some time at Escaton Memory Care. And that was uh, that was also helpful. Absolutely. I have to say, I was terrified, absolutely terrified of doing it in the hospital. I, I, I felt like, oh, yeah, you know, put me in a skilled nursing facility, put me in a memory care. I'm good. But in a hospital, I don't know. And I just fell in love with it. I, I just fell in love with it. I can't tell you how much I love being there. So the. Hmm. I am just, that's something you'll have to investigate for yourself, I guess, why the hospital made you so nervous, but um, it's a big place. <laughs> may, may more eyes upon you. I don't know. Well, whatever, but yeah, but uh, having a palliative care uh, input from uh, doctors and social workers and so forth, that must have been helpful uh, before you went into a patient's room at least to have some, do you get to see files? I mean, did they just verbally tell you what to expect or, or kind of what the condition of the patient is or? Yeah. So sometimes, I mean, I guess the nice part, but also the part that was challenging at first was, you know, um, creating this position, nobody really know, knew how to do it. <laughs> and so at times it was like, um, I would kind of have to, keep educating the floors, you know, I'd, I'd stop on different floors and tell them what I did. And is there any patient that you think would benefit? And so I would, you know, when I kept coming around every week, then they would get used to seeing me or, um, after they experience, after a lot of the nurses or doctors would actually experience me being in the room while they were there, then they would say, Oh, okay. Now I really understand what it is that she does. And they could maybe give me other patients, um, a little more confidently. So it was a learning experience for us all. And I loved every minute of it. I didn't realize it was sort of a new program. I, I you know, you just kind of assume it's been around for a long time, but, uh, and that's fascinating because then you, you learn from each other too, which is good. I think Sally uh, has a story she's going to relate to about a situation where uh, she didn't necessarily help the patient because it was a difficult patient, but the staff appreciated the fact that she was in there uh, making an effort to uh, bring comfort. So um, I guess you have to really be wide open and flexible and spontaneous and, and all of that, which is pretty neat. So what, what is your, I, I know this is going to be a hard question for you. What is your favorite part of being a CMP? Oh boy. Yeah, that is a tough question. Or you can have multiple answers. <laughs> but okay. I, you know, yeah, I would say um, there is an instant gratification in this work. Um, you know, sometimes the way that we affect someone, you don't realize it until later. 
you know, maybe Mm -hmm. they'll stop you and they'll say, gosh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you sang a song and it just, I can't get it out of my head. It was so uplifting or, um, you know, something like that. This is really instant. Um, I mean, I just had an experience today that it was wonderful. I, um, the patient was very agitated, very, I mean, it was, uh, it was very disheartening and I just, you know, it's interesting. I saw myself thinking about this and kind of feeling myself getting a little frustrated, like, oh, I wish I could. And then I said, wait a minute, you know, just center in like you just center in, keep your intention of just providing a space for this person to calm down. And I just kept with it. And eventually, very slowly, this patient started to calm down and the heart rate went down, the breathing slowed down. I mean, it was like night and day. And the nurse that was sitting right next to me was like, wow, wow, the music really appeared to help him. I've just, I've never seen him so calm. So it was, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that I love so much about this work. It's just very instant. I'm like 95% effective. Once in a while, you know, 5% of the time, maybe it doesn't work or the, you know, the patient doesn't want to have, they tell you to stop or maybe they're not in the mood. 95% of the time, I really see something happen right in front of my face that I feel like I'm a part of changing the way this person feels, changing the, you know, helping them relax, helping them have an emotional release, helping them, just helping them, serving somehow. So I love that part. Well, I was going to ask you to relate a story, and you did. See? <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, and so one of the questions down the line, and I was only going to ask Sally, I don't know why, probably because she brought sort of brought this. Sometimes you have a patient who is uh, palliative care and near, near death, uh, about ready to go into the next realm. Um, is there a time, do you feel, and the patient is too sick for therapeutic music, or maybe that's a time that's really appreciated. So we learned, we learned during, you know, our, um, our training that, you know, the hearing is really the last to go. And, um, and I think that's really important to be aware of when you're speaking in a room with somebody who is transitioning from this life into the, into the next, when you're playing any kind of music that, it is very likely that they can hear you. And um, for me, it is such a sacred space to walk into because, I mean, I know this sounds so weird, but it's like I have experienced it as if that person is expanding, like that they are not just in that bed and that body, that they there's a larger them in the room. And that I, I, there's really no way for me to say it other than that. And at those moments, um, we are still watching the patient, but I've also noticed there's times that I just close my eyes. I center in, um, I sometimes get into that space that I'm able to reach in meditation and I just connect with that kind of expansiveness mm-hmm. and, I, I, I mean, it's, it's a really remarkable time. I love doing that work so much. I don't, I, it's, I, it sounds so woo woo when I say it out loud, but it's just amazing, you know, just kind of what happens in the space when music is there. And it's a very different kind of music that's played. It's unstructured. There's a lot more 
um, space. It's much more open. Like I might, you know, have a, like, and take a lot of space and let it hang and then sing another tone. So it's just, it allows for expansiveness. And I guess that's, that's what I feel in space is that expansiveness. It's, it's like I just put the mindfulness bell app on my phone and it rings, it, it chimes every half hour and, and it just stay, it's, it, you can hear it just staying in the, in the room, the, the sound from it. And that's, it, you're allowing the, the sounds to c- come into you, I think, when you give that, give the space. And even when people are saying meditations, uh, it's wonderful when they say something and just stop and allow that to come in. And yeah, that's amazing. Beautiful. That's beautiful. So I'm hoping that we'll have listeners. They're going to listen to you and Sally and they'll fall in love with both of you. <laughs> um, is there a website where a person can go for the um, music for healing and transition program. Can we put that uh, URL out there, I guess, for people? Yeah, absolutely. It's mhtp.org, Mary Henry Tom Paul.org. Once again, mhtp.org. And you can find out all the things you would like to know. <laughs> <laughs> music and becoming certified yeah, fascinating give yourself time you'll go down a rabbit hole <laughs> yeah I, I did go on the that website and um, um after uh, sally had the uh, benefit concert i've learned about them and i went on that and so um i printed out pages of information so and that's wonderful so so this is going to be another probably silly question but how has the CMP program changed your life? And if so, in what ways? Um, in so many ways. I just, um, I absolutely love my job. I am so grateful to be doing what I'm doing. I'm so excited to be able to come into the hospital three, three days a week and offer this type of music medicine because I really see it as a medicine and um, I feel like it's helped me become more present Um, like like we were talking about or alluding to before you really don't know what's going to happen and I think that that was what scared me the most about coming to the hospital it was like I don't know what to expect there's going to be all these different things that I have to deal with and I am I going to like it was an inadequacy thing am I going to be able to be adequate enough to rise to the occasion to whatever I come up against. And I feel like, yes, I answered my question. Yes. If you stay, if I stay present and I'm open in that moment and I walk into this room and let me just say that walking into the room, being invited into the room is enough. I mean, you're seeing people at their absolute worst and they're inviting you in 
even before, uh, you know, I strum my guitar or I sing any note, they're inviting me in. So there's a trust almost that they're putting in me. And then we get to go on a journey together. Mm-hmm. And it has changed my life in so many ways, you know, just seeing how sound affects our physiology, watching people unclench their fist, watching playing a song and having someone have an emotional release and saying to me afterward, I didn't even know I needed one, mm-hmm. you know, or providing the music for two people to say goodbye to each other. One of them passing away and the other one holding them Why I'm playing. I mean, how special is that? Like, I, I just cannot even imagine doing anything that is more, I don't, I don't even know. I don't have the words. It's just, it's definitely changed my life. I'm very grateful for it. Well, I, I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of our listeners know who you are and have heard you sing over the years and are so happy you stayed with music and are doing this wonderful work because it's feeding you also. And in, in, like you said, it's nurturing you and feeding you. And um, you're a one-of-a-kind musician, I can tell you. I've heard your songs, I've heard you singing, and um, every time you've sung, uh, whatever it is, um, I'm moved. And I'm, I'm grateful you're, you're doing this work. So um, if there are listeners who would like to kind of behind the scenes, ask you some questions, you know, before jumping into a training program, would you be willing to share your email address with them on this podcast? And also in my newsletter, all this information is going to get published. So absolutely. As I mentioned, this is one of my favorite topics. <laughs> and what, happy, what email address it. are you comfortable giving them? Yeah. So I'm at Ann, A-N-N dot Roach, that's R-O-A-C-H, at M-P-I-H dot org. Ann.Roach at M-P-I-H dot org. I'm glad you told me because I had it wrong <laughs> when I wrote it down. So I want to make sure I get it right in the newsletter. So, And um, that that newsletter will also feature... Uh, the CMP program and the training program and, 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 you know, web, web addresses so people can get their own information. But I'm sure that this podcast um, is going to inspire a lot of people to step into this program. It'd be wonderful. So thank you, Anne, so much for, for being with us. And I'm uh, Sally will be with us a little bit later and um, the podcast will air. Uh, let me see, the 24th, March 24th, that happens to be my birthday, Yahoo! Happy birthday. <laughs> anyway, that's a great birthday gift for me, and so um, I want you to certainly listen to it because you want to hear what Sally has to say about her experiences, and I would just do a little sneak preview that when I ask uh the both of you, what inspired you, she's going to say, Anne Roach inspired me. So she heard the (laughs) program from you. And so people have uh, to look forward to that.
So thank you so much. And um, we're just keep doing what you're doing. And uh, we're grateful that you're doing it and inspiring others as, as well. So thank you, Anne. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks again for having me. You're welcome. Our next guest today is Sally Sion. Sally was born and raised in Sacramento and educated in local schools and colleges. Her full-time occupation was in law enforcement. She began as a fingerprint examiner for the Department of Justice and then the Sacramento County Probation Department where she held various positions for 14 years. After being promoted to supervising probation officer, she worked another 14 years with juveniles and ended up in the Gang Violence Intervention Unit. Wow, that impressed me when I read it, Sally. So welcome, Sally. It's so good to have you here today. Thank you for inviting me. So I'm going to say what I did, uh, the same thing I said to Anne when we talked to her a little earlier today. Um, I'm an alien. I've just landed in a spaceship. And I've landed here on Earth, and I don't know who anybody is or what they do or anything like that. So I'm going to ask you, um, can you give us an idea of and the history of your, your musical uh, expertise as far as singing and playing instruments? Well, I started to play guitar when I was about 15. I had taken... Um a year or two of piano, basic piano training a little earlier than that, starting when I was about 13. But in my era, um, we were all folk music um, advocates and aficionados. So we all sat around and played guitar. So I learned guitar from other kids who also played. I have had very little formal training on the guitar. Um, I've sung in choirs and did some individual singing my whole life, took some vocal training, but I am not an expert in music. I don't know a whole lot about music theory. Um, I've just sung and played guitar all, all my life, pretty much. Uh, and you became a CMP, which is a certified music practitioner. Uh, can you tell us uh, who or what inspired you and how did you find the program and and why did you go through it with training? Well, I knew, I'm friends with Ann Roach and had known her and knew she was a certified music practitioner, but it didn't occur to me to think in terms of becoming one myself until I went to a program that she and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Proet, who has been a certified music practitioner for about 12 years, I think, um, did a program at Spiritual Life Center for one of the Wednesday night programs there. And they talked about their work, and they talked about the fact that there was a need for more music practitioners, and I got the idea that I perhaps could do that. So I talked to Anne individually, and then based on that, I decided I was going to enroll in the program, and I did, and now I'm a certified music practitioner. Great, and we're, we're happy you are and happy to have you here today to tell us about that journey. So I understand there's a Music for Healing and Transition program that is the training program you went through. Are there other training programs for CMPs? 
there are three other programs that train individuals to do therapeutic music. Um, probably Anne spoke about the fact that certified music practitioners actually play at the bedside. Uh, we don't necessarily do like shows at um, facilities. Our purpose is to actually play therapeutic, therapeutic music for individuals. And there are three other programs that train individuals for that kind of playing, but they are all harp programs. So the harp world is pretty involved in therapeutic music, but um, this is the only program that trains people that not only do harp, but also play any instrument, really, which seems to be appropriate for therapeutic music. Well, a harp is a pretty good-sized instrument, and um, I, th I think you gave me uh, harps for healing, bedside harps, and harp therapy programs. So, and the reason I want to mention those uh, in the podcast is everything we mentioned, I'm going to feature in my March uh, Interfaith Explorers newsletter. So uh, people will have that information in writing as well as orally Wonderful. today. So, uh, Wonderful. so, I mean, you know, you go into a hospital room and you play with someone, play for someone, but um, why can't just any, uh, what's the difference between you doing that therapeutic, live therapeutic music and, and another musician just going in to play something or maybe putting on recorded music? Is there a difference? And Well, first of all, if a person is present, um, the person can respond to the patient and change music as the patient um, either responds or doesn't respond and try other things. But in the training, the, the whole emphasis of most of the training, it has nothing to do, they do not take anyone who is not a musician to start with. So they're not training you to pl just play music. Um, it took me about two and a half years to complete the training. And um, the whole purpose of the training is to learn how to observe everything, know what you're seeing, and then play music that is, it is appropriate for that particular condition, um, whether it be the emotional condition or even the physical condition of the patient. So we're playing music which is specifically focused on what the problem is with the patient at the time that we're playing for them, whether their heart rate is erratic, their breathing is too fast, um, that they may be um, confused um, and, and not know, you know, who they are or what's going on around them. So depending upon any of those conditions, we're trying to address those specific conditions. So if you go in with basic information about a patient and start playing, and then it, because the patient is in a different place, um, is that something you can easily uh, switch over and, and, uh, I'm, I'm kind of asking this because when I looked at the program in the internet, it did say that you have to be a musician well uh, and know music well enough not to memorize music and just play it, but also to observe the patient, like you said, to see where they are. So if their demeanor changes or something changes, then you can easily do that. If you're good. <laughs> if you're good. <laughs> 
Okay. If if you're actually doing what you're supposed to do, um, if somebody just puts music, you know, on a music stand and sits there and pays attention to their music, um, I'm sure that that would be pleasant, um, you know, and would have some positive effect on a lot of people. But um, the focus generally is not on the playing. The playing really is secondary to watching the patient and then meeting the patient in the condition that they're in and then trying to move the patient to a better condition if possible. So I, I, I remember a, a little lady that I played for that when I went in she was very confused and the daughter was there um, and I started playing old favorite songs that I thought were of an era that she would remember and she started remembering songs and started actually singing the songs with me and then I moved to um, still old songs that she would remember but happy songs and she began to sing those and then was laughing and um, you know became quite delighted with with the visit and the daughter was just awed at the end of the session she walked out into the hallway with me and said that that really was the first time that her mother, she had seen her mother joyous in a long time. Um, and she, she was, you know, knowing who she was. She was knowing who the daughter was. And, um, all, you know, all of that took place just because of the music. So that must have been a, a wonderful feeling for you, too. And yeah. one of the questions I was going to ask is, that did you as a CMP um, benefit also while you're playing the therapeutic music? Well, I, I, I think I, I can't imagine anybody who is, you know, plays music at all, I think, has, you know, an innate pleasure in, in music and playing it. So just the fact that I would sit down and play for a patient, it would give me every bit as much pleasure as if I was just sitting and playing for myself. Obviously, anybody who who plays music who is fairly good has practiced a lot so they've enjoyed their own playing but to have people respond and and move to a place of either feeling better or feeling more relaxed or joy or whatever the effect that we're having on a patient is just delightful it is delightful it's it's a gift to me i i get a bigger gift out of it than i'm sure that the patients do wonderful well, on February 18th of this year, um, I was lucky enough to have watched a, a program that you organized uh, called Notes and Jokes. It was a music and comedy benefit concert at Spiritual Life Center for the, for the uh, CMP program, but it's actually benefited the Music Partners and Healthcare Training Program. Can you tell us about what, what that was like putting that together? How'd you... How'd you come up with that idea? And, and what about the musicians who participated? I could not believe the variety of uh, instruments that were played that night. I, I was overjoyed to do it. And because a sense of humor is kind of, you know, part of my, the basis of my personality, um, thinking about and putting together the comedy part of it had to be part of it for me. When I, when I decided that it would be fun to put together a program to, to benefit the organization that um, helps to do ongoing training um, for people that have become CMPs um, and also in 
encourages other new organizations, other new care facilities, other new hospice agencies and that kind of thing to try, to try using therapeutic music. Um, I, I had to include comedy in that, so that part of it, every minute that I spent working on that was, was a joy to me just because of who I am. But I just put in our newsletter, I just put a call out to the musicians in the organization and said, I think that I'll try to put together this concert if I can get enough musicians to participate. And is anybody willing? So I had nine other people who sent their comments back and said, yes, they would be willing to participate. So the only I only knew two of those people, only had heard two of those people play. And I also was just floored by the quality of the music that the musicians presented for the for the program. And they all had an, an excellent time too because they got to actually play entertaining music that they loved. And we did have um, a harpist that plays with a, a Native American flutist. And we had another harpist that played with an accordion player. And I know the accordion player having been involved in training with him, but I was so impressed by his ability. And we had a clarinet and we had a saxophone and we had <laughs> um, guitarists. Guitars. Yes. Unfortunately, I did when I was in my training, I, I took one of my classes I had was um, with a woman who plays the sitar. So unfortunately, she didn't volunteer, but <laughs> it would have been fun if we could have had the sitar also play. Um, she happens to be back in Chicago. It would have been hard for her to travel here to play in the show. But um, anyway, yes. Um, and the two, the two of the fellas play at um, the music circus in the orchestra there, and they also play for Sacramento Broadway, So, and they are both retired professors of music from colleges. So these people, for the most part, they were musicians. I can't Absolutely. say that I consider myself a musician, but um, most of these people, one of the fellas had played with rock and roll bands that toured Europe. These people were professional musicians. They really were just outstandingly good. So it was a, a joy all around. It just was beautiful. That program is available online if anybody wants to. Right. And, and they can go watch to, it on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. You can go to YouTube and type in Notes and Jokes, a benefit concert. And it was done on February 18th, 2022. So, and I did go to YouTube and I found it. So. <laughs> Yes, I might is. listen to it again. <laughs> so it was, I have heard I have heard from several people who have listened to it several times and, and enjoyed it each time. So it was it was just delightful. So one of the uh, questions I asked Anne during uh, our inter her interview was, uh, and this is a difficult question because there's probably many parts to it. And if there are, go ahead and expound. You know. So what is your one of your favorite parts of being a, a certified music practitioner? Oh, well, I, the, the satisfaction I get out of making connection with people and feeling like I am influencing their peace of mind is just profound. Um, people are at a, you know, I think that they're, 
their psyche is at a thin time when they're in the hospital because they're experiencing um, the unknown and they're worried and um, they're they're having to confront problems that you know as of yesterday they didn't think they had so they're willing at that point I think to be much more open than maybe they would be in their normal everyday world where they feel like they have more control and so frequently we'll have such a beautiful connection within the few minutes I spend 20 or 25 minutes generally with a person and like I said at the end of that time I just feel like we've we've really had such a beautiful loving connection and it reminds me you know how beautiful and precious every soul is so who could you know who could want anything better than that and I think Anne expressed a similar uh, thoughts where she felt the spiritual energy in the room between the patient and her connected yeah so it's soul to soul spirit to spirit really yes so um and so, also visitor frequently if you know the now that we're letting patients have a visitor back in their room which during covid wasn't happening and so people were particularly isolated but even now so frequently now you know there's a daughter or a son there or there's a husband or a wife or whatever and they're also you know overwhelmed with what's happening and I think that they also get so much benefit, you know, from the relaxing music or the seeing a beautiful shift in their in their loved one, and that also helps them to feel more peaceful. Mm. Well, in talking to you earlier, you and, and my next question is the opposite: is like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what were some of some of challenging experiences or difficult? playing conditions or difficult patients. And I know you related two stories to me. Uh, if you don't mind uh, relating those two again, the, the woman who was upset all night and the man also of different, two different scenarios, but. Okay, well, first of all, I'll say that I probably, I don't have problems with difficult people. So I'll, I'll preface my sayings with that. I think for me personally, the times when I feel, when I feel adrift the most and it, and I have to keep reconcentrating my mind and keeping my peace of mind is when I am playing for a patient, frequently the people that are in ICU or, but sometimes other patients that are, there may be even um, palliative care patients that have lost any connection with seemingly us. Um, and there is no response. The, the person is still breathing. The monitors are indicating their heart is still beating or whatever, but there is simply no response. And I do believe that at some level, some of them probably are benefiting from the music. But it, it puts me into the question of, you know, what does life mean and when does life end and what's the meaning of, you know, our life and all of that. So those, those kinds of patients, like I said, it, I have to go over and over and over in that kind of musing. However, with people that are responsive, I'll tell you about them. The best, this is the best um, memory I have of working with a patient. 
I walked on to the unit where I was going to play for the morning, and the minute that I arrived, I have to go and get a patient list from the unit clerk. And while I'm waiting for her to print me up the list, I can hear this lady constantly calling out of her room, and she's saying, help me, help me. And I don't remember her husband's name, but she was calling like, help me, Ralph, Ralph, help me, somebody help me, Ralph, come help me. So and this was constant. I mean, it just was going on and on. So for the two or three minutes that I had to wait for the clerk, it was, I was thinking, my goodness sakes, I wonder if the rest of the patients and if the staff have having to been, you know, listen to this for a long time, it would be very disturbing. So I knew that was the first place I needed to go. So I walked into the room and our procedure is to initially introduce ourselves and before I could get a word out, a man was standing next to her. I assume it was the husband. And the woman was not aware, really, that anyone was there and was calling out to him, but he was there and kept telling her, I'm right here, I'm right here. He said to me, he said, she's been like this all night. Please, can you do something? So I introduced myself and I said, I'm here to try to play some music and we'll try that to see if that does any good. So I had him sit down because he was up and he was fidgeting, he was touching her constantly and trying to talk with her and stuff. And I said, if you just sit down here in a chair, I pulled a chair up right next to the bed. I said, and maybe just take her hand and we'll just both try to stay calm and see if that will help her. And I started to play. So I played her the 25 minutes. And in the course of that time, initially, she quieted a little bit. She stopped calling out quite so loud. And then she stopped calling out completely. And she started to just like watch where I was. And I don't know that she was really even registering who I was or what was going on. But she was quiet and was watching me. And then her eyes started to sag. And she dropped off to sleep. And she just melted like into the pillow in the bed. And so I, we continue to play even if someone drops off to sleep. We continue to play for a few minutes. So I continued to play quiet, calm, relaxing music. And then I left the room. And I did not hear her the rest of the morning that I was working on the um, unit. So she obviously was exhausted if she had been doing this all night. And so she slept apparently the whole rest of the morning. So it was such a benefit to her, to the other patients who had been hearing this all night, and to the staff. So, and also to her beautiful husband who had been trying to, you know, calm her and had had no success. So, so it was just a beautiful experience. On and the other hand, <laughs> yeah, another story. <laughs> on the other hand, there was a difficult man. One of the nurses had told me that, you know, there was a man who was being very difficult and was down at the end of the hall. So I said, okay, that's the first place I have to go. Um, so I walked in the room, and when I walked into the room, he was arguing with the nurse, and he was telling the nurse that the medication that the nurse wanted him to take wasn't the right medication, and they needed to get hold of the doctor right away, and he should be on this other medication, and that this medication caused him problems, and it wasn't going to do him any good, and, and he... And, the nurse was saying, well, this is the only medication I can give you now. And the man kept arguing with him. And then the nurse finally said to him, you know, I have told you that I've contacted the doctor, but for right now, do you, are you wanted to take this medication or not? 
So the man said, yes, he would take it. And he took the medication and the nurse beat it out of there as fast as he could. And so I introduced myself to the man and I told him that what I did, I was a music practitioner. I was there to play music if he would like. And so he said, well, we'll try it. And so I started to play and I played maybe three or four minutes, you know, maybe five. I don't know. It wasn't very long. And then he stopped me and he, he waved his hand and he said, stop, stop. And then he started a long tirade about how the music was inappropriate and that my music wasn't very good and how um, it should have more um, dynamics and he was criticizing the individual music and then the fact that music in the hospital was useless anyway and then he went on to how poor the care had been that he'd get gotten and on and on and on and on and I could barely get a word in edgewise once in a while I would say I see I hear you um, but that was about all and he would go on. So I spent about 25 minutes with him and then I finally told him, I said, I need to leave now. And so I left. So I didn't feel like I had made any impact on him at all. He was every bit as unhappy when I left as he was when I walked in. But it was funny because several staff members then, the rest of the morning while I were there, was there in the on that unit, stopped me to tell me how grateful they were that I had spent 25 minutes with him because it kept him out of their hair for 25 minutes. So it had been a great gift to them. <laughs> so so I'm glad that I could be truly helpful somewhere. So, and, but and it, that- it had. Yeah, it had no effect on me in terms of, you know, me thinking I'm doing it wrong or anything because I was exactly the same with the woman whom I had the profound effect on as I was with this man. Uh You know, the difference was coming from them. So, um, (laughs) you know, I hope that it had some, you know, some positive effect on him. At least it entertained him for 25 minutes. And so there you go. Yeah. (laughs) Well, as interfaith explorers, and this is the program we're presenting, we attempt to build bridges of understanding between people of all faiths and cultures. So in the CMP program, how do you respond to a patient's, uh, well, spiritual needs when you, you walk into a room, you're not even sure, or maybe you haven't been given any information about that particular person's uh, faith traditions, um, and, and if they're of a different culture, too. Oh, how do you uh, deal with that? Does the CMP training give you uh, some ideas? Well, it's adamant not only from the training, but also the hospital, you know, does not want um, anybody to be proselytizing, you know, in the hospital, a particular, you know, view or a particular faith or anything. So, we, we don't go in and start immediately singing the old rugged cross or something because that might be completely contrary to a person's belief. Um, but I have a lot of songs that, um, that deal with um, hope, um, that deal with um, the, the connection that we all have, that we're all one, um, that have to do with, you know, our hearts being joined, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. frequent, and sometimes, even if I don't, I haven't even started there, I've just started with some completely generic song, um, the patient will ask for a hymn. They'll ask or for a particular song that, you know, is important to them and means something to them. So from that, then, I can take, 
you know, and go in the direction, you know, of, of the style of music that they've asked for. Um, but I feel like even if we don't talk about their particular beliefs, and I certainly don't want to try to impose mine on them, a lot of people do respond, you know, to the idea that we're connected um, and that I am providing them, you know, light and hope. And so we make a connection at that level, regardless of what, you know, we call it or they call it. I don't care what they call their, um, you know, their, their universal presence. It's, you know, they can call it anything or not even think they have one. It's okay with me. But they, stu they, but they do think that I am connected with them if I sing something that intimates that. So the oneness comes out then. That's good. Right. And have you ever had an experience where you go in and the person's just so sick? maybe they're uh, almost ready to pass and uh, where you feel that the therapeutic music uh, isn't going to be helpful or um, I don't know that's a silly question because I think it's going to be helpful at any time it sounds like it, it doesn't matter especially if a person is uh, not responding or not verbal yeah, oftentimes a non-responsive person, even if they're on monitors, like if their heart rate is fast or their respiration is fast or whatever, if you start to play particular music, like rhythmic music or calming music, you will see you will see the monitors start to adjust to a more healthy condition in terms of the breathing rate or the heart rate or the blood pressure. But sometimes, like I said, particularly like in, in ICU, if they're on a respirator, they're not controlling their breathing. You know, it's being controlled for them. And, and they're on, you know, 19 different um, uh, intravenous fluids. And so, you know, everything is happening to control the blood pressure and, the, you know, everything about them. So, like I said, those are the conditions where I don't, you don't see a response. Um but in terms of people being close to death, I mean, I just, I've had people that I played for that seem to be not really present that are palliative care patients that some of the music will bring tears to their eyes. And I had a lady that was, um, she was quite joyful and, and quite happy when I talked with her. And she told me, oh, I'm getting released today. And so I said, well, oh, are you getting to go home? And she said, no, she said, um, they're sending me to a care facility because she said they told me that um, if they don't take my legs off that I'm going to die. So she said I just I decided that's okay. I'm not going to have them take my legs off. Mm. So we talked about that and about her you know, beliefs and, and the fact that she was feeling like her life was fulfilled and that she was she was okay with that. So hmm. people even when they're close to death you know, music has an impact on them and, um, you know, uh, can touch them, can touch them. The, the I don't know, after we're dead, I don't know, you know. I've played it yeah. I don't know if the dead person <laughs> was touched or not. <laughs> that time I couldn't tell, but um, <laughs> yeah. it's okay. We're touched, yeah. we're touched on this so, side. Yeah, so those are wonderful stories. So um, if people are listening and they're curious about, you know, the process you have to go through. After you graduated uh, with all the coursework you had to do, uh, I understand you had to undergo a, a practicum. Can you tell us uh, anything about that, how many hours it was? I think uh, Anne said 45 hours. 
and where she went, but right. and where where did you do your practicum and how? Oh, at Roseville Hospital, on um, the Roseville Kaiser Hospital, and and it is forty five hours, but it's actual forty five hours of playing. So when you go in and the and the minutes that you talk with a patient, separate and aside from actually playing the music, don't count. And um, you know, obviously you're going and you know uh, spending time and tuning your instrument and getting ready and all that. You know, that counts. So um, to do 45 hours of the practicum takes about four to six months. It depends on. I was going to say, yeah. And some people longer than that, you know, particularly if a person's working full time because there are certified music practitioners that still work full time and then, you know, are doing this in their off hours. So sometimes it takes people, you know, six, eight, ten months. Um, so now that you've graduated, uh, are you still at the Kaiser Roseville and, um, and uh, how often do you go there? Yeah, I, I volunteer there one morning a week. And right now I'm working on trying to get a program going at a Kaiser Morris. Um, so I'm in the process of trying. Oh, there you to, go. Yeah. Get, what get, would that mean, uh, getting a program going? Well, at, the, at our Kaiser Roseville Hospital, um, you know, they pay a few hours uh, a month because anytime you do anything at a hospital, you have to keep track of everything. So, I mean, we have to turn in statistics on the age of our patients and how long we played for them and, you know, if there was any physical effect and all of that. So somebody has to gather all of that information, you know, because there has to be an annual report. You know, it's tracked constantly and all that. So um, that's what it would take would be for, you know, Kaiser Morris. They used to have a... Um, a woman who was in charge of a program at Kaiser Morris, but about seven years ago when she left that they didn't continue it. But there's about um, 15 people that play at um, Roseville, both oh. in the lobby and for patients in their rooms. And obviously there has to be a coordinator. And then every hour that, you know, or every minute that anybody spends there, there's paperwork that has to be done. And so the person who's in charge of the program has to collate all that information and organize it all so that each, you know, each ward and each, you know, unit is getting, you know, covered and that kind of thing. So there's a, some administrative, um, work that has to be done and you have to recruit the people a number of the you know people that play at kaiser roseville are volunteers and so elizabeth proet who is the head of the music program there has to recruit the volunteers and you know organize them and it's keep a lot, them a lot to it then, huh? <laughs> yeah but so. it would be helpful if you had more cmps correct well well always always um you know most very few certified music practitioners, you know, do this full time. I don't know that it would be possible to actually go and play therapeutic music for 40 hours a week. Oh, that emotionally. I don't think that that yeah, would be I, I think so, you're right. Um, so, so, yeah, most CMPs, you know, work, um, and, and some of them do support themselves with this, you know, by playing for hospice, hospice agencies and playing a few hours maybe at a, um, you know, a, continuing care facility and a few hours at a hospital and here and there and, and do private sessions. Um, so, but nobody does it 40 hours a week. And so there's always a need for, you know, more people. So if there are listeners out there and, and they want 
uh, want to talk to you privately and ask questions and get some ideas uh, before they jump into a, a full-fledged training. Uh, would you be willing to share your email, an email address with them, with us on, yes. and what would that be? It's S-C-I-O-N, which is my last name, S-C-I-O-N, 95864 at gmail.com. Okay, that's Cyan, S-C-I-O-N, 95864 at gmail.com. Yes. Okay, and I'm going to, all of this will be printed in my newsletter as well. So one last question for you this afternoon. You've been really gracious and and sharing so many lovely stories. Uh, I know you, Sally. I've I've known you a long time, and you're a giver. You're always in service, always doing for others. Uh, Has this CMP program changed your life? And if so, how? Well, I always want to be of service, so um, so it fulfills that need for me to be, um, you know, serving others in a way that I feel is really meaningful. Um, up for in terms of my spare time, I had been doing more artwork, um, which I enjoy and I love to do it. But um, this is one step higher in terms of fulfilling my um, my need to. To feel like I matter, you know, so I can I can create a um, a ceramic mug and it's really fun and I like it, but um, it doesn't seem to me to be there. There is no order, you know, of one thing being more important than the other. I suppose mm-hmm. on the ultimate level, but um, having a positive, profound influence on somebody and making connection with somebody to me seems to, for me, to be on a higher order than um, creating an art piece. Well, thank you for, for, for what you've said. Uh, we've, we're grateful that you said yes to being on this podcast and your journey and uh, as a certified music practitioner. Um, I know you just became one in January, but uh, I'm sure you're, you've already had some extraordinary experiences. So um, I want to thank you and Anne, who uh, we talked to earlier today, uh, for sharing your wonderful CMP spiritual work for all people of all faiths and all cultures. Uh, I know that just from this podcast, there are people out there listening who have been inspired and they're grateful and um, for your willingness to share your stories. So I just want to remind everybody out there that all of the information and links that we shared on this podcast will be uh, um, mentioned and published in my March Interfaith Explorers newsletter. And if you're not on our newsletter list, just go to Spiritual Life Center website, uh, go to connect, scroll down to Interfaith Explorers, and we have our own page there. And at the top of the page, you can sign up to be on our mailing list. And at the end of each month, you'll receive our newsletter. And this month, of course, we're going to feature Sally and Anne and their stories and uh, all the information we can put in there about this wonderful CMP program, which is making a difference and building bridges of connection between people. 
So in April for next month, our podcast will feature another program that provides spiritual healing. It's the Clinical Prayer Chaplain Program, and we'll have as our guest to be interviewed Chris Sullivan and Dr. Reverend Maureen White. So until then, I want to paraphrase a quote from world-renowned cellist Yo-Yo Ma. He was on a program recently and said these wonderful things about music. Music helps you stay optimistic. It's like a fuel, a resource you can draw on to keep you happy and reaching for a better world. It helps you stay stronger in your ideals, goals, and practice to help make the world a better place. Music is the essence of service. So thank you again for listening. As we build bridges of understanding and peace, let us remember the healing power of music. Namaste. Thank you for joining us today to experience and explore a deeper understanding of our interfaith look at the world. Our Interfaith Connection podcasts are aired on the fourth Thursday of each month on Spiritual Life Center's website. You can also find them on your internet provider on the Podbean app. We want to hear from you, so send any comments, questions, or suggestions about our podcast to interfaith at slcworld.org. That's interfaith at slcworld.org because we want to know about your interfaith heart. As I close, let us all remember the words of Gandhi when he said, a peaceful exploration of all faiths is our sacred duty. Namaste.